0: All thinks I'm taller than I am, but I'll I'll take it. <laughs> I'm not Jerry. <laughs> I'd like to welcome you to a, a nice warm church, a special day with children. Yes, and you can look in the bulletin for announcements. There's conferences coming up, ladies' Bible study, men's Bible study. But it's also we're having breakfast in the fellowship hall after church. So. I've been over there making sure that the quality is up to Grace Reformed Baptist Church standards, and it's its um, If you didn't bring anything, hopefully you've brought an appetite. Come on over. If you didn't bring an appetite, you didn't bring anything, come on over and just talk to people that you you haven't ever met or talked to. Some of these strangers might be scary, but I I can guarantee you Michael Haas is a nice person. (laughs) Can I get an amen from his bride? Or 20 bucks? Yeah, thank you. Okay. Okay. This is our Bible Memory Verse presentation and recognition that uh, Gail and some other ladies have been overseeing. And she gave me the script, and I was blown away. Jerry and I were talking a little bit about how society seems to be crumbling, but for God but for this church. We're a little tiny church. We don't have smoke in a rock band or anything like that, but we have the Word of God. And we have ladies that are sold out to raising children. We have men that are sold out to raising children. If you listen to pastor, you should listen to him, but if you listen to pastor, as he gets older, and I can say that because I'm older than him, That he, me, we, the, our passion is raising up the next generation of kids. That's a a really awesome, important ministry. Yeah, Timothy. Um, I got an amen. I don't know what he was really saying, but I'm going to take it as an amen. But that's something that we're doing here that is so incredible. Someday, you younger. Moms and dads are going to be old like Wayne. <laughs> We're invested in our kids. So that's, that just, I'm going to cry if I keep going, and you'll cry if I keep going. So, <laughs> enough of this. So, I would like these children to come up to the platform. Abby and Luke Taylor, are they here? I don't see them. Dorothy and Boaz Nunn. Minnie Willa and Henry Hargraves. Mary James John Meyer. Okay. Luke Warren. Lily and Rosalie White. Come on up, guys. Woo. These younger children are ready to receive awards for Bible verses they have memorized. They, have may, they may have learned them in Sunday school, children's church, home school, Christian school, or family devotions, and we want to celebrate their achievement as they learn to hide God's word in their minds and hearts. So when I call your name, please step up to the microphone in the middle and share your Bible verses. So Dorothy Nunn, you're gonna go first.
1: In the beginning. Cyrus. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and pre- The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was made nothing that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to give testimony of the light so that all man might be through him
2: and rumor
0: has it that Dorothy knows this in latin also <laughs> so the next children are Mary James and John Meyer are going to go up to the microphone and share their verse yeah.
1: <clears throat> Train up a-
2: they have a child in the way he should
1: go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, verse six.
0: All right. Very good. And now Luke Warren, come on up into the microphone and share. Right up close to the microphone. There you go. It's all yours, buddy.
1: And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and the sound that he made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the life of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. First, first, uh, first John 1 John 1-5?
0: very good i am amazed so now we have a bible verse tote bag for those who've memorized their first five verses so when i announce your name boys and girls please step forward to receive your award then you're going to come back here so dorothy nunn go forward Boaz, go get your bag. Willa Hargraves, you have a bag there. Henry, now it's time for you to get your bag. Henry Hargraves, go get your bag from Miss Gale. Yeah. John Meyer, get your bag. What an awesome young guy. And then finally, Rosalie White, there's a bag for you. Okay, we're not done. We also have a star for every five verses they've memorized after that to add to their bags. So we have one star for Dorothy Nunn, go get it. Minnie Hargraves, time for your star. Okay sissy, Willie Willa Hargraves, get your star. John Meyer, your star, go get your star. We have two stars for Lily White. We have six stars for Mary Meyer and James Meyer. James, go get your star. Now here's an awesome one. Not one, not five, not 10, not 11, 12, 13, or 14, but 15 stars for Luke Warren so congratulations boys and girls. god bless his word in your minds and hearts and the taylor kids they're not here but they were getting some stuff too so we'll make sure they get them. so come on up pastor
3: well i just want to thank you uh, annie for uh, leading this and and gail for your commitment to help with the children to hide god's word in their heart and Addie and Bailey, thanks for coming along and helping as well, and all of the church for your participation. If you need help with any of this too in being part of this program, you parents with kids and maybe even some grandparents, and need good resources, please see Gail about it. Gail has uh, orchestrated all this. Don't mean to brag on you here, but um, but I will, and I really appreciate your leadership in this. A lot of the women's ministry are unseen right now but they will flourish into great fruit and we're praying for that you know in the text I just put a won't read it all but you can look in your um, cover of your worship folder I put a couple passages of scripture one from the Psalms that talk about children being a heritage of the Lord and like an arrow that is uh, with us for a little time the stewardship which we have point it direct it in the right direction let it go and i can't think of a better thing than to encourage them to hide god's word in their heart i'm gonna have the elders come forward because we want to pray in solidarity we pray all the time uh for your children you guys come on up and stand behind them if you will we want to pray i'm gonna let you know that your elders are praying on a regular basis for these children that they might come to faith in Christ, confess Jesus Christ as Lord, and continue in that faith. We're we're going to pray that they all come to know Christ and live for Christ. We will do this together. You have a significant part, each person, those who are the parents, the grandparents, uh, uh, and all of those within the church and the community as we gather together to provide both an example of what it means to follow Christ and then encourage them along the way. And I want to thank you for your participation in the various ways that you do it uh, in this uh, unseen service to Christ. But we'll pray for that fruit to be abundant in time. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you in prayer, and particularly for these children that you have given the stewardship to, to their parents. Really, for such a little time, Before long, they will be off and gone, but I pray that they would be going along the right path, the path that leads to life, the path of truth that is in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would take this word that they have hidden in their heart, that they have treasured, that it would be a treasure, that it will come to them and that lead to flourishing in their life. I pray that you would protect them from the evil one who would want to snatch This away, Father. I pray that you will develop this in their life and may we participate in the various ways in which we do to encourage growth in Christ. I pray, Father, that you will save everyone. May each one confess Jesus Christ as Lord. May it not be an external confession, but an internal one, a change of the heart, Father, change them all. And I pray that one day we'll be able to hear their testimony in baptismal waters, when they confess Jesus Christ as Lord and express that before you and your saints in these very waters. I pray, Father, that they would continue continue in faith and be a light to the nations. I pray that you would make this community even stronger in faith through the foundation of those that have laid that great truth here and that is being built on by the generations to come. Bless them, keep them, make your face shine upon them, and may the glory of your grace be manifested, not just this day, but in all the days ahead. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. God bless each one of you. Great job.
4: And well, let's stand together and take our hymn books, and let's sing this morning. Let's turn to number 511, and we'll sing The Solid Rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 511. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean 237 singing let's turn to number 595 595 for all the saints psalm 44:1. oh god our father has told us what you did in their days
5: church. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is Acts 24, 1 through 21. Uh, that's page 933 in the Pew Bible. Again, that's Acts 24, 1 through 21, page 933 in our Pew Bibles. This passage details Paul's third defense regarding his arrest that occurred in Acts 21. His accusers, which included the high priest and others among the Sanhedrin, were led by a man named Tertullus, who was likely a Hellenistic Jew, familiar with Roman law, possibly a lawyer. Paul, in his defense, identifies himself as a follower of the way. This was the original self-appointed name for Christians, based upon Jesus' description of himself as the way, the truth, and the life, through whom is the only way to the Father. Let's go to scripture. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace And since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my dispense. You can verify that it is no more, not more than 12 days, since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law, and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Mm -hmm. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation, should they have anything against me, or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day go to Lord in prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for your word and for your Holy Spirit that guides to understanding and corrects us. May we meditate on it daily and hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you, Lord. We ask that you prepare our hearts and minds for the worship and song and preaching. May you bless the offering that your way may be spread throughout our world, and we turn to you so that your name is honored and glorified all the more. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the only way. Amen. Amen.
4: I think some children in here know the title of that song well let's stand once more and let's turn to number 620 and we'll sing jesus is the song my savior is the lord and king he has control of everything he loves me and he bids me sing he gives his song to me 620 <laughs>
3: Indeed, I hope that is the expression of your heart, that you would truly know Jesus Christ. He is indeed Lord, but he has taken on human flesh to dwell among us, that he might express his steadfast love in unique ways. It's my prayer that you truly do know him. I think that's really the emphasis of this preacher in the book of Hebrews. More than anything else, he looks at his congregation, Jewish. They want to go back to Judaism, which really was permeated throughout their culture. It it was really going back to doing what everyone else was. They... They were distinct in the sense that they found Christ, embraced Christ. And so he passionately pleased throughout the course of this exposition to not turn away from Christ. He's better in every respect. Of all that they held as good and true and right, those things that were ordained by God, We're all to point to this particular one, this one who is Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of all. Why go to a symbol when you have the substance? Why go anywhere else? In chapter 10, as we started last week and really tried to at least impress upon you this idea of the better sacrifice of Jesus Christ, as our preacher would proclaim. He emphasizes it's better because it's perfect. It's perfecting. It it accomplishes what God has actually intended. It doesn't create a possibility. It creates actuality. And that's significantly important for us to, to know. Our preacher here in chapter 10, he's finishing up an exposition, a section, that he started in chapter eight. If you notice, as we mentioned last time, in chapter eight, he mentions the uh, covenant, the, the new covenant, as prophesied about, particularly from Jeremiah, I think he's where he's getting from, Jeremiah 31. And then he'll conclude this section here where we're at in verses 16 and 18, reemphasizing that same prophecy about the new covenant and his point is it's it's here it's it's now he he's expanding the theme that that christ has fulfilled and completed he is superior of all things this prophecy that they were aware of and they knew of from jeremiah it's something which they they held very dear what he's saying it it has come it has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jeremiah the prophet was well known by the audience of his day. Jeremiah was revered as a great prophet. We call him a major prophet. Because, uh, uh, mostly because of the size of his text. 52 chapters. A large book like Isaiah. <laughs> it follows Isaiah in fact. But Jeremiah would have been well thought of in the first century, but they had forgotten what they did to him when he actually proclaimed the Lord's truth. You see, the prophet Jeremiah told the people the truth, and they didn't want to hear it. That's a common theme in human history. The preacher or the prophet exclaims something from God, and you know what? Most people just don't want to hear it. They have better ideas in and of themselves. But what solidified Jeremiah is that every single word that he spoke was true. He spoke about a judgment to come, and it came. But recognize this, Jeremiah doesn't do this without a heart of compassion. He speaks the truth, but he does it in great love. And, and, and pleading. And in fact, I just, when I thought about it, I said, well, Lisa, I'll, I'll just quote a little section here for you from Jeremiah chapter 2 as it, as it begins. Here he is proclaiming what God says to the people. And remember, the preacher in, in Hebrews, his audience knows this all too well. Okay? This is part of their history. They, they have this prophecy. They have it written down. And... A lament here from God himself is proclaimed by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2. I'll just read it for you. And here's a challenge. Has the nation changed its gods even though there are no gods? That's verse 11 of chapter 2. And and what he's saying is the same kind of thing that, that the preacher in Hebrews is saying. You're going to go to ritual and not the reality? Are you changing your God? You can hear the same thing. And listen to the plea from Jeremiah, who has been characterized as a weeping prophet. He's weeping out the very words of God in compassion. Yeah, he's going to give them judgment. But listen to the tone in which it's given. But my people have changed their glory. That is the glory that God gave them. If, if you're in Christ, you have been given the glory of Christ. Where would you go? Would you change your God and go somewhere else? and here's the analogy he gives it, it, it is you would you go to something that doesn't profit and verse 12, this is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, "Be appalled, O heavens, at this. be shocked and be utterly desolate. This is a shocking statement to walk away from God, his glory, and particularly now in revealed in its fullness in Jesus Christ. Would you go to anything else or to anyone else? The heavens should be shocked and appalled, declares the Lord. It is the Lord who declares this. This is God, Yahweh, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And then he uses this analogy, which for them is part of their life's experience, but I think we can grasp it as well. Here's God saying, my people have committed two evils. Okay? He's going to liken walking away from the glory of God to something that is not God, for which the heavens should be shocked and appalled. He says they committed two evils. One, they forsaken me. Two, they have hewn out for themselves. In other words, they went their own way. Specifically, he uses the analogy of water, which is the fundamental basis for life. We must have water. And here's the analogy God gives. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. You get it? Free-flowing, forever, continually. That's, that's what they're giving up. See, the, the fountain of living water. They've forsaken me. That's what happens when you walk away from Christ. That's what happens when you don't embrace Christ. You're going away from that which is life. It is life not internal and just in time, but it is fulfilling and overflowing and continually. So no wonder the heavens should be appalled. The fountain of living waters. And then he says they've hewn out for themselves cisterns themselves. That would be a little hole in the ground to hold water, right? You get water, we, we have wells, for example, or... You know, there's water towers in some cities where it holds water. That's the imagery. But what about the cistern that they built for themselves? Well, it's broken. It's a cistern that can't hold water. Whatever you pour into it is going to empty itself out. It's leaking. See, what a great analogy and imagery that is given. This is the prophet Jeremiah that he appeals to. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he's expressing God's truth, that is, a judgment to come. And and it it isn't just that God is somehow vindictive and trying to uh, uh, indiscriminately put out wrath. He, He wants you to come to the fountain of life and live, but you won't have it. You you, you will carve out something, I want my own way, I'm going to go my own direction. Well, it's going to fail, that's the problem. And so, the prophet knows this, and they won't listen to him. In their circumstance, they're going to go into captivity. They're going to be annihilated to a great degree. They're going to suffer great loss. They're going to be bound up in captivity for 70 years, and he knows it. And so he knows the truth because he knows the people won't hear because they won't hear him. And so what does he do? No, he, he doesn't try to manipulate them. He just proclaims the truth, but he does it in love, and he weeps. There's a little tiny book stuck right at the end of Jeremiah. It's the little book of Lamentations. A lament means to essentially weep. It, it, it's like a lament at a funeral. You, you you would cry out. Lamentations begins this way. This is after the fat, after the judgment that he has warned about came. After the foolish people walked away to their idols, which are nothing. How lonely sits the city full of people. Because it's empty now. Judgment has come. How like a widow she has become. She who is great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. With tears on her cheek, among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. The the lover imagery is this, going after someone other than God, right? it's, It's imaged as Israel portrays the wife of God going off for another suitor. Another one that is empty and broken. Not one that would give life and flourishing. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah, that's who he's speaking of, the southern kingdom, has gone into exile. And because of affliction and hard servitude, she she dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to, to Zion, that would be Jerusalem, they mourn. For none come to the festival, and all her gates are desolate. This is Jerusalem being destroyed. Her her priests groan, her virgins have become afflicted, it is abused. She suffers herself bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of transgressions. All, all of that was deserved. All of that was foretold. Forsake me, abandon me, and, and you're going to receive the wrath. And they received it. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. Jeremiah warned about all that. And they were all too familiar with it. But he was right. Judgment did come. And he did so in looking back on it in great lament. And so did the people. But you know, there is a positive thing about all of that. And that even in the midst of this, there's hope. Because God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And God is always merciful, loving kindness. He doesn't want to bring you to judgment. He wants to bring you to life. But you won't have it. You take something a lot lesser, something that even comparatively couldn't be even compared. And so all of creation then is, is appalled, essentially. In the middle, right in the middle of this lament, and by the way, it's approximately in the exact middle of the Bible read the Lamentations for yourself and you'll come across this in chapter 3 I'll read it for you but this I call to my mind he's in the midst of despair about people walking away from God and receiving the judgment that is due he says this I call to my mind and I have hope there is hope why? What, what hope does he have? That everything's just going to get fixed? They just have to deal with this for a little while and they're out of it? No. It's because of the steadfast love of the Lord never cease. If you never get anything, get this right here. Cussed is the word for steadfast love. It, 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 it is hard to translate. It just it means an, an incredible, faithful, gracious, merciful, patient, all of these virtues Wrapped up in, in, as an expression of what love is, we have a hard time translating it. But one thing's for sure, it's the perfection of God expressed in his compassion. It never ceases, okay? It, it exists right now, and you can have it. Go to him, the fountain of living water. His mercies, he'll say, never come to an end. What? What, what is Mercy. Not, not giving them what they deserve. He, he sent this prophet to tell them, to warn them. That, that's compassion. That's steadfast love. And even in the midst of it, he's in the midst of it, the lonely city. God is still about restoration. And calling for repentance and return. Come and live. Why would you die? That's the point. His mercies never come to the end. His mercies are here right now. He says, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. (laughs) We have a hymn about that. Great is thy faithfulness. Yeah. May that come to your mind. The Lord is my portion, he would say, says my soul, Jeremiah. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Here he has the the gospel. Well, this preacher is reminding them of that through his exposition of the new covenant, the, the promise of God that he would bring about salvation. Undeserved, unmerited, he would grant his mercy, because of his steadfast love and his great faithfulness. Let's read it in its context. I'm only going to touch on verse 1 again, and we'll see what we can get through today. But I will go ahead and read it in context because of what I want you to see. I'm in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll focus on verse 1. We'll touch on verse 14. But I also want you to see the new covenant repeated. That is the salvation that he's talking about in 17 and 18. So let's read the text. The preacher says, For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year by year make perfect those who draw near. That's his point of making perfect. We'll, We'll expand. Otherwise, speaking of the Old Covenant, They would not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year for it's impossible of the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. A, A real sacrifice in burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure that is they they haven't brought about perfection then i said verse 7 behold i've come to do your will o god as it is written of me in the scroll of the book (coughs) when he said above you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in the sacrifices and offerings of burnt offerings and sin offerings these are offered according to the law then he added behold i have come to do your will He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, will we have been sanctified, and that's an important word, sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time, A single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. That's what's going on right now. Verse 14. For by a single offering he has, and here's this word again, perfected for all time those who are being, in other words, sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness for us, saying, this is the covenant. This is the new covenant we're talking about from Jeremiah that he had in chapter 8. This is the new covenant that I'll make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. There's nothing else you could do uh, that that whatever you did, did not atone for sin. Christ atones for them. And through his atonement, verse 17, he's not going to remember, that is, he's not going to count it against. On the positive side, what is he going to do? He's going to make it internal. It's a matter of a change of heart. Let us pray. Father, may we see the significance of your word, may it have a practical application in our daily life. O Father, for those who have not heard or heeded your word, I pray they come to life even now and drink from that fount of living water. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. I emphasize along the way verse 1, making perfect those who draw near. This perfection is required to be able to stand before God. You will not stand before God in your unrighteousness. God is a righteous and holy God. Anything that is unrighteous and not holy will not stand before Him. They would be melted to a crisp, if you will, because of God's beautiful perfections. But Christ accomplishes this. Look down in, in verse 14 as He unfolds this idea of making perfect. That is enabling someone actually to come into the presence of God. This making perfect. It is Christ who does this, verse 14, through His sacrifice on the cross. And He does this for all time. There isn't any other source, any other way but Christ. And He is the one that is doing this. And beyond that, it, 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 he brings about those who uh, are sanctified, that is, being sanctified. So there is a process that's mentioned here as well. Two concepts I, I think it's good to think about. One is the positional righteousness that the believer has before God. You stand righteous, perfected in Christ. That's what he's talking about. As though you, you have this cloak of righteousness... That is, Christ's righteousness that, that you're wearing. It, 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 it won't happen, but if it were to happen, I remember people would use this in evangelistic presentation. If you're standing before God, what would you tell him? And you, you, you simply, he, that wouldn't be asked because he already knows. You're wearing the righteousness of Christ. Right? You, you get in because of Christ's accomplishment. And what about your sin? That has been atoned for by Christ. It's his accomplishments. But both the positive and the negative, all of it is accomplished by Christ. Those who are united with him have his perfection. He didn't earn it, didn't merit it. It is given to them by God. This is perfection that he talks about. It is in Jesus Christ and him alone. We call that imputation. Imputation. He takes on our sin. He dies. So its penalty is paid. And he grants us the righteousness that we could never do or merit to stand before God. Now, this is what we would call salvation. But but that's not all of it. There's much more. And I understand why people say this. I I actually even saw someone who took a little monopoly uh, idea and card and made this little evangelistic track called Get Out of Hell Free. Okay. Play on Get Out of Jail Free. And I understand that's fine. And that was quite creative. But, but if that's all you think about salvation, you have just totally missed it. Okay. It isn't just getting out of a just due penalty and judgment. It is a, salvation is a radical change of heart. It is internal. It isn't just external. The external comes about because of a change of heart and disposition. It is as if, think of it this way, and I don't mean to trivialize it, but it's as if you you, you didn't have a desire for a particular food product, and now you do. Maybe you didn't like chocolate ice cream. Well, now you do, right? So so you eat it not because you have to eat it. It's because you want to eat it. Your want-to has been changed, and that is the distinctive thing in the Christian life. And and parents, when these little children were preaching the word to them, were hiding God's word in their heart, just challenge them to, to see about an internal response to that great truth. Yeah, keep sowing those seeds. Sow them very deep. But you're going to just plant and water. But God will give the increase. So trust Him for it. And ask them to examine their own heart to see if they're in the faith. In verse 16 of the same chapter, <coughs> see, he, he, he emphasizes that once more. He says, the covenant that he's going to make, verse 16, I'm in Hebrews 10, I will make with him, he's quoting from Jeremiah, <coughs> after those day, days, declare the Lord, I will put my laws where? In their hearts and write them on their minds. Where was it? It was on a, and nothing wrong with it, but it was on a tablet. It was written down, and then they copied it, and they put it in the scroll. So it's external. It's written. All of the things that they were prescribed to do, that they were doing, those are all external. They they come, they show up, they do, (coughs) they give, they participate, they do all the things that they're supposed to do, which they are supposed to do, but all of those (coughs) are external. They're not internal. Okay? What is called for is a right heart response in doing those things. You should do all of those, absolutely. But what is called for is to do them out of a change of heart. And you can't accomplish this on your own. This is something that God does. So how would you appropriate it? Call on Him. He's a merciful God. Remember, His mercy endures forever. His faithfulness endures forever. His steadfast love continues. It's right now. Go to him. He said, well, I can't stop doing that. He can change your heart, beloved. Okay? He can change the whole disposition of who you are. Now, here you can turn or just listen. And yeah, I never get through this sermon again today. I'll have to bring it up next week. But we're on a roll. Come on. I want you to tie this in. I just thought about this. Tie this in to Ezekiel. Ezekiel explains this dynamic as well. Slightly different analogy, but yet the new covenant. You can listen or look. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. He talks about the same new covenant, expresses it a different way. This is the dynamic of what Christ has fulfilled in the life of the believer. He says, I will, in verse 25 of Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Notice clean, 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 and clean. Four times mentioned there. And by the way, if you've ever been confused When Jesus talked to the um, Nicodemus in John chapter three about being born of the water and the Spirit, this is what he's talking about. Okay. Nicodemus knew he was a ruler in Jerusalem. He knew the law. He knew Ezekiel. He knew Jeremiah. All of this was something he knew very well. This is what he's talking about: a supernatural cleansing and a change of heart. He says, "You in, G- in Nicodemus in John three he says you cannot even see the kingdom of God unless you have been born from above." Jonathan, it means again and above. Both concepts are true. There, there has to be. A supernatural awakening. And by the way, I didn't mean to get into the exposition of John 3, but if you keep reading through it, he'll explain what it means to be born again. Uh, Nicodemus is thinking externally. He says, No, it's not that. It's an internal change of heart. And then Jesus uses the analogy of the wind. It's like the wind. You don't know where it came from, really, technically. And you don't know really where it's going. What do you know? You know its effects. You see the leaves blowing. You see the trees bending. In other words, there is a response to it. And this is how you'll know if you're born again or born from above because you'll have a different response. The response doesn't bring about the life you can bend a twig or a, a tree branch all you want. That doesn't mean it's alive. And if you bend it enough, it's going to break, no wonder, because it's not alive. Back to Ezekiel. This is a supernatural cleansing. He's just using <coughs> a slightly different way to express the same thing. You're going to be and I, but I, what I put in there here was, think about this. you're, you're going to be clean. You're going to be, and we have a word for that, sanctified, made holy. But who's doing it? It's God. It, it's His work that accomplishes. You're going to be clean, 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 clean. And I will then, in other words, you, I'm going to atone for all your unrighteousness. And then positively, I, verse, excuse me, verse 26, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit within you. That's what I mean. It's a change of heart. A change of disposition. This is really heart surgery. This is not something that depends on you. It depends solely on God and his dynamic work to change the heart. You can't do it. Then he adds this analogy, I'm going to remove the heart of stone. That, that's the imagery there. What you had was something that was dead, inoperable, not functionable. It, it's pretty much gone. Lifeless is another way to describe it. No, no real way to then <coughs> respond in, in faith and repentance and obedience you can't do it on yourself you're dead stone he says I'm going to then take that out and give you a uh, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh that is to give you life a heart that's real a heart that can respond and then another way in which it's described or explained to a further degree you see that verse 27 I'm going to then Put my spirit in In my text. It's capitalized, and that's a right thing. I'm going to, listen, this is a promise. This is from Ezekiel, way before Christ came. He says, I'm going to do this. This is part of the new covenant. I'm going to put my, what, spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. See, what did Christ promise when he ascended? He promised that he's going to send another comforter of the same kind, the Spirit. See, it it was always described and discussed in the triune nature of God in the Old Testament, it just wasn't clear as clear until Christ revealed it and made it very clear. Now everything matches up. Even this, it makes sense. How is he going to put God's Spirit in the heart? Can you imagine someone who has the very Spirit of God indwelling in them? This is a unique person. This is not the same. Okay, This isn't somebody who just gets their ticket punched to heaven to get the get-out-of-hell card free. No, it's a dynamic change in which God is with his people and dwelling in. How is God going to dwell with his people? They will need to be sanctified. They'll need to be perfected. And this sanctification concept is really integral and part of the dynamic of salvation. And that needs to be proclaimed. And in fact, again, I'm not. <clears throat> uh, this is something you would ex- teach your children and those who you evangelize. Ask them to examine their own heart. What, what do you really love? <clears throat> now, there are means by which you can increase your affections towards God, no doubt. <clears throat> but when it comes down to it, what do you really want? And this, by the way, <clears throat> and there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but. but this is but one of the reasons why I abandoned the tradition in which I grew up with, which caused people to come forward and make a decision. <clears throat> I grew up with that. and I respect that. I think I know the motivation for that. You know what the motivation? I really think is they're doing all they can do. They want to help. I mean, if somebody gets hurt. You want to help them, don't you? Yeah. But there's only so much you can do. I mean, there's so much you're unable to do. And the place I grew up in and heard the gospel the first time, I mean, I don't know how many stanzas of Just As I Am they would play at the end. It would just go on and on and on. And, in fact, I was uh, talking to one of our members that uh, is in the hospital now, and he talked about his experience and He was at a church one time and they wanted the entire church to come forward and kneel at front. And he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to engage in a ritual and not a reality. I mean, he's motivated to do it, do it. And if you're motivated to do it, go ahead. I don't have any problem with it. But you know what I don't want to do? Manipulate you into heaven. I don't want to force the issue. Oh, I want to be forceful. I'm going to proclaim Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of sin. I'm going to weep like Jeremiah and said, Why would you choose anything else? You're going to go to a cistern that has a a leak in it that can't be filled? Do you not know what God would give you? Oh, yeah, I'm going to be heartbroken, and you should be too. Pray for your children and relatives and friends and acquaintances. Why would you choose destruction? Judgment is certain. But just doing stuff, just engaging in the ritual of it in and of itself doesn't accomplish anything. And in fact, it may mask the real problem. Because people can really look good on the outside but not on the inside. Remember, Jesus dealt with that quite a bit with the Pharisees. He called them whited sepulchers. In other words, like a tomb. that's painted, looks nice and pretty. You know what's inside? Not so pretty. Okay. It's a matter of the heart. I'm not suggesting you try to look ugly on the outside. But what I'm saying is what matters ultimately is what's going on inside. And that's between you and God. And again, I'm not puning people's motives, but, but this is one of the tensions I deal with. I want to pray, proclaim Christ, but I, I'm not chasing after you in that sense, forcing you, twisting your arm, but I will plead, I will pray, I'll do it with great passion, because this is, this is life, and any other choice is death. Notice here in Ezekiel, <clears throat> He says that spirit that's in you that change of heart you know what it results in you're going to then walk in my statues walk means that is your way of life that that terminology is used a lot in the bible this is the the walk if you will he's talking about a lifestyle not perfection but direction this is the way that you want to go oh I want to follow God God. And when I find myself misstep, I find myself out of step, off of the way, I want to get back on it as soon as possible. He says, and you will be careful to obey my rules. That's the idea of taking some actual concern and care. Consider your walk, your actions, and what you do when you find it out of line. What the one who has a change of heart will do is say, I want to confess my sin. They recognize that that God is the one who is, what do we say? Faithful? Great is your faithfulness? He is faithful, and he's just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. How could that possibly be? Because Christ died once to accomplish it. It's all been paid. He took it all on him. So cry out to, to God. This is the design of salvation. Paul would tell the church at Ephesus that it is by His grace and His grace alone. (laughs) In Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of your own doing. That is, it's not what you do. It isn't even the result of works. That is, engaging in rituals or whatever practices that you might do. Even coming down before an aisle and kneeling and saying a prayer. No, that's not how it's accomplished. It's accomplished through God, His grace, His mercy. And he does this instrumentally, Paul would explain, so that no one has anything to brag about. He said, you can't boast. Oh, I made a better decision than that guy, and that's why God likes me better. No, no, no. I can think of a lot of people that God should like better than me, <laughs> for sure. I mean, that's one of the things when you grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, you recognize how far away you are from it. And how incredibly gracious he is. And how great is his mercy, his grace, his love, his kindness, his faithfulness. But that grace that is given is observed in faith. That is a response of the regenerate heart to believe And that belief is not separated from obedience. It's integral to it. This is what we call sanctification in a practical sense. Positionally, saved, sanctified, that is set apart, made holy. That's what sanctified means. Righteous before God. And Paul in Ephesians, same passage, he follows that up. He says, for we are, verse 10, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, what? You know, unto good works. That we should walk in them. Same concept, isn't it? It's the lifestyle. So my lifestyle now is a different direction. And it is all because of God's grace, his unmerited favor granted to me. It changes the disposition of my heart. Now I have a desire to walk and obey God. And God has uniquely created me to be able to accomplish that kind of work in the real world, in this life. We call this new walk, sanctification. Sanctification, again, is integral to salvation, is part of it. It's expressed practically in the real world, in our own life. And for me, I think one of the things that has help to some degree, and I need a little more help. Trust me, a lot more help. But just being aware of who you are in Christ then affects how you then behave in this life and what resource you rely on then to live a life that would please God. Last week, I introduced this Work that um, J.C. Ryle wrote on sanctification. I think it's a really helpful booklet because he's much more succinct than me. If I had just read his book, we'd have been done by now. But I like to go off on things from time to time. <clears throat> but in any case, Ryle, in his little book, which I had a link on our social media, and I can put it up again if you need it. it it's, a, it's, a, it's a very short book. It's free. <clears throat> you can get it in PDF or Kindle format. But he went on and, and gave a dozen points that I think are very helpful, and I had to attribute to him because he organized them, but they're in the Scriptures, and you know we can come up with different ways, but I think it's helpful, and you, you may want to read that to get a further concept of this idea of sanctification. And I think we left off last time talking about that. It I don't I don't think we quite got to it, but that sanctification, he would say, is the only. And here's the word he puts: certain evidence of that indwelling Spirit, which is essential to salvation. Remember the new covenant we just read, but both in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and then is repeated here, are referenced in Hebrews. The Spirit. The Holy Spirit then is in life of the believer. So, so how would you know that you have the indwelling Spirit? Well, a sanctification in, in life, this practical righteousness, becoming more like Christ, growing in that grace and knowledge. He says it's the only certain evidence, experientially, I would say, in your life that indeed the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And that is indeed central salvation. Paul would say in Romans 8, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Okay? So, so that's what's essential. Not, not to belong to an organization, although that's important. right? Not discounting that. What's, what's essential, though, is to have the indwelling spirit. The, the indwelling spirit then we're talking the Holy Spirit of God that Christ has sent, it doesn't lie dormant in the soul. It, you think God would indwell the life of the believer and then sit around and twiddle his thumbs? <laughs> I mean, you can't imagine that, could you? He makes his presence known by what we would call the fruit of the Spirit. Paul would address that in Galatians. He said, what's the fruit? And this isn't all of it, but love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, all of these motivated by the Holy Spirit. Now, you can have love, joy, peace, and self-control from the flesh, okay? but, but, it's, but it, it is a distinctive difference to be produced by the Holy Spirit where you're engaging in those things, not motivated by what, how people would think about you. And, and one way to measure that is just look at your own private and public life. I mean, it's one thing to be joyful, to be patient, to have self-control when other people are looking, right? When you have an audience, but have that in private. That, that tells the real character who you are. And I'm not suggesting that you, you don't have these virtues in Life and, and your uh, social environments, for sure. But the call is is there a motivation from the heart that gives you peace and joy and self control? Okay, I don't like to give anecdotes, so I'll give, uh, but I'll just be brief with one because I just thought of it. Experientially, th- this happened to me once, and it was the most reassuring thing for me ever. I got in a fight with somebody, an argument, and I was right. I know, it's a rare occasion. Actually, I think I'm always right. (laughs) But I really was this time. And that person just wouldn't have it. And so I went away and took a little time, and then... Something happened. I'm, again, I'm, this is anecdotally, experientially. I'm just telling you mine. You know, perhaps you have, just so you can get the idea of this. I felt like the hound of heaven <laughs> on my heart. I, I felt like feeling this great pressure of you know I need to go ask that person for forgiveness. And then I thought, well, why would I ask them for forgiveness? Because it's all their fault. And I went through all the facts, and all the facts were there, and it was all their fault, It's nothing of me. I did everything right, in my own eyes. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave me alone. I had—I really felt a deep conviction. You know, I don't know if—I don't know if I am right in every aspect, and and didn't try to justify my behavior. I just went to that person and told him I was wrong. That's a hard thing to say, isn't it? From the heart. I was wrong not just because I wanted to resolve a conflict, it's because God had worked on my heart. And by his grace, and this may not always happen for you experientially, but by his grace, that problem was immediately resolved. But you know what I got out of it? That that caused me to think about this right now this statement here after that happened I said I see some evidence as awful a person as I am I see some evidence of the Holy Spirit working in my life to make me swallow my pride and to assume responsibility and to seek restoration where did that come from I assure you, experientially, at least for me, that wasn't the flesh. That was the spirit. And it's my prayer you experience that as well. As you grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and, and, and be observant for it, look, look for compassion, love, right? That, that it isn't otherwise deserved and that you're, you're not doing so to get some sort of favor or response. You just do it because this is the character who you are changes everything. It'll take some time to demonstrate that in your life and to experience it in reality. And before I'm done with this section, I'll, I'll give you some practical applications on how to um, see more of that. But you know where it begins? It begins with regeneration. Okay? A work of God in the heart of the believer. The indwelling Spirit, and look then for evidences of that in your own life. Rye would say that all the next that the and this is very similar. Uh, this last point was it was a certain evidence, and then he says it's the sure mark of God's election that is choosing you, that you would have that experientially in your life. There are some people that get caught up in this idea. Scripture is very clear about the concept of election. That is, God ultimately chooses those that come to Him. Ephesians Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world. So we call this divine election. That's what we mean by that. Instrumentally, the, 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 it, it, the, how it, it is experienced in our life, our response to God and the gospel is belief, repentance and belief. But why? That's what we must do. But why does anyone do this? Well, Scripture's clear. He chose us in Him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And, and, and beyond that, in what condition did he choose the believer? To be holy, blameless, and before him in love. Okay? That, again, talks about the position of the believer. <clears throat> Sanctification, that is, this expression by the Spirit of holiness in your life. Another way to characterize it is, is love is a sure mark of that election. I think it was William Cooper, it's spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, wrote uh, some hymns that you're familiar with. One of them is, uh, There's a Fountain Filled with Blood, one of my favorite. (laughs) In his day, Cooper had struggled a lot with his, his own disposition and disbelief about God's chosen him, Choosing him in, in election, and a lot of people did at that time, they spend a lot of time th- worried about this intellectually. Oh, am I one of the chosen? And maybe you've thought about that, and you looked at your kids, or you looked at your friends, are, are are you one of the chosen? You know, you're one of the elect. We, we don't operate that way. I think it was Charles Spurgeon preached, you know, God doesn't put a stripe down somebody's back so that we can lift up their shirt and see that they're marked now. No. We preach Christ to every man and call every man to repent. And if they do, it is because God had chosen them before the foundation of the world. That's the idea. So so you don't fixate on this, but some people do. I I understand that. And and they really worry about it. The, the, The issue really is giving God the glory for his salvation because we respond to his work and we recognize, oh, you know, it wasn't me, it was God all along who accomplished this. And Paul would tell this church at Thessalonica, and I, I'm running out of time, so I'll just read it for you. Second 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved. So, if someone is saved, God gets the glory because he chose And then he adds this through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. This is how it's manifested. How would you know if you're elect, if you've been chosen by God? Do you fixate on it? No, you believe. You just respond in faith. And. You believe in what? That truth. It is enabled by the Spirit. That's a capital S, Spirit, and they're correct there. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is mediated through sanctification. That is, becoming holy. As these things are practically experienced in your life, in other words, you're putting away those things that we might classify as vices, and expressing virtues in your life for the believer. This uh, can be reassuring to that very truth that God did choose you from the foundation of the world. And he had to choose me from the foundation of the world because he picked me out in life. If, if, if that was the case on I mean, what I did, I would have never made it <clears throat> from the very beginning. But back to my little... Uh, illustration or story, whatever, about Cooper. Um, you thought I lost my place, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> Cooper struggled with this whole concept. And again, some people do. They get fixated on it. I, I don't. Uh, I, I know that everyone needs to believe. Everyone is called to repent and believe. Those that do, do so because of God's work in their heart. And so we praise him. But Cooper really struggled with that. And he I guess he just had a disposition towards depression anyway. And some people do. They struggle with that, and I, I, I understand. And it's doubly so when he learns a lot of theology, particularly this, and he's always worried. He was worried about, what if I'm not one of the elect? And, and he kept on you know, examining all that he did, and, and it really fixated on him. You know, the guy that wrote uh, Amazing Grace, John Newton, he was his friend. You know what he told him to do? Go write some hymns about God. Focus on God. And together they wrote a lot of hymns. Some of them are still in our hymn book today. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. It's a beautiful hymn that Cooper wrote as he expressed his relationship with God and focused in on him. The more you grow in that grace and the knowledge of Him, it's expressed in your own trajectory of your life, your walk, so to speak. It changes direction and provides great assurance and creates a circumstance in which you respond in praise to God for the glory of His grace. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word and the expression of truth. We're thankful for the work of Christ who's perfecting those that that you have chosen to be first fruits, to demonstrate what it means to be a child of God. I pray through the power of the Spirit we might indeed put to death the deeds of the flesh and beyond that by the Spirit we might express that very fruit that is, that is produced by you. I pray that you would grant to your people great satisfaction in your salvation and a great demonstration of it in all of our lives. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved, here's where I don't force you to come down the aisle and make a decision. But I will call you to do so in your own heart if God has worked on your heart. If you have sin to confess, confess it to him, not to me. If you're not sure about your salvation, Christ will save you even this day. Take a moment to think on these things. Respond to Christ in the way he has spoken to you. Take a moment now. Father, I do pray that you would grant us the joy, peace, and love that is in Christ. May it be expressed in our daily life. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you know we're going to have to sing that one. Y'all want to sing that one too, don't you? There's a fountain filled with blood. What number? 224. Two, let Let's stand together and sing this together. Again, thinking about these great truths. Will creates an, an environment rich in the expression of it to praise to him let's stand together 224 one of my favorite there is a fountain is to be saved to sin no more. That is the perfection in Christ. Do you hate your sin? Christ has dealt with it. And this will be the real experience of all of us. Verse 3. Let's sing it together.
0: Lift up my soul, O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Gracious Father, we do pray now as we depart and go to the fellowship hall Lord that you would bless the fellowship around the table and the food that's been provided bless every uh, provider of food and the food to our bodies we ask it in Jesus name amen is missed. I've got a public service announcement for moms and dads we have youth choir practice after the kids get a nice meal So, just uh, Amanda and Amber will probably call your kids out. Might be, well, it'll be sometime. Depends how fast you eat. But just be prepared to go over to the apartment building to the youth choir practice room when they get you.